You're listening to a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers. You can find more information about the House and our events on our website. Good evening, everyone, and welcome. My name is Susanne Kalutsa, and I am CEO here at the House of Literature. It is my great pleasure to welcome you to tonight's program dedicated to the Ukrainian filmmaker, poet, translator, and author Irina Tsilik. Tsilik has an exceptional and varied background. She continues to produce poems, films, and even song lyrics to great critical acclaim and the delight of readers all over Ukraine. Her literary works deal with issues such as identity and belonging, home and family, and more recently, conflict and uncertainty. She has also produced a short story for our upcoming anthology entitled Arrivals. Here, Chilik waves together five stories awaiting on love, on a train station, on a place to stay in an uncertain time. Through our collaboration with literature houses all over Europe, this anthology will be published simultaneously in Norwegian, German, Turkish, Kurdish, and Ukrainian in June, and will be available for free through the House of Literature website. Tzilik's work has been translated into a host of European languages, and she continues to be one of the leading voices in Ukrainian literature today. Tonight, we will focus on her work as a director and a filmmaker. Tzilik has made several short films, including an addition to the Cinema Almanac Invisible Battalion, focusing on women's roles in conflict and war. Her full-length debut, the documentary The Earth is Blue as an Orange, provides us with a deep and moving portrait of one family's life in Donbass in 2017, seeing the worst of Russia's aggression before the full-scale war against the rest of Ukraine in February 2022. In 2017, Irina spent a year visiting the family in Donbass, but contrary to their surroundings, The Earth is Blue as an Orange is a warm and light-hearted film, often funny. Tzilik's eye for irony and detail provides the film with many poetic moments and is part of the reason why she won Best Directing Award for World Cinema at the Sundance Film Festival in 2020. And to lead the conversation, we have multiple award-winning author Osna Saishta. She has several decades' worth of experience in covering the plights of civilians in conflicts all over the world. Her latest book, The Afghans, was just published in Sweden to all-round rave reviews for her unique portrayal of life with and within the Taliban. After the conversation, there will be a short break before we start the film screening here at 7. Irina will introduce the film herself, but now, please welcome to the scene, Osna Saishta and Irina Tsilik. Thank you, Susanne, and a warm welcome, Irina, to, to Oslo. Hi. <laughs> um, it's very bright light here, so you can't really see the audience, but um, I was thinking about the audience when I was going down here to meet you, and um, most of us, uh, when we leave tonight, we go home. We go home to our families, or to our little apartment. Uh, some have good houses or good homes and good relations. Sometimes it's bad. But you write in one of your essays that having a home uh, has become a luxury for Ukrainians. I'm sure that here in the audience there are refugees 
who've left their homes, maybe recently, maybe a long time ago. Uh, and uh, your film is about a home too. It's about a very warm home, a warm house, and it's about a family. So it's one of those key uh, elements that also Susanna mentioned in your work. But I was thinking about um, uh, the, how when you have a home and a safe home, you take it for granted. Uh, and small problems become, become major problems. Uh, and that is luxury. So, uh, first question to you is like, where is your home now? You know, I had a short conversation uh, with one of the people who work here in this literature set, and I just told 10 minutes ago that I feel like at home in this place because I was invited uh, to spend some time here actually nine days to discover what Oslo is, how do you live here, guys. And I should say that my first impression is uh, I feel that I fell in love with Oslo. It's full of life. It's so calm. It's so beautiful. And people seem so calm, so kind, and so normal. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I know, how does it sound? Mm. But I just told that I feel so cool here and I even cooked a soup today, you know? It's something about home cooking. And uh, I'm really enjoying my stay here. And um, I can say that home is something that we have, have probably here. Mm. But of course, it's extremely important to have a place where you can always come back. Because I'm the one who needs to have this place. Um, and I remember myself one year ago when the full-scale invasion has started. And all of us, we were scared and we didn't know what is actually happening. And we just felt that our lives uh, changed so dramatically. And I remember that on the very first day of full-scale invasion, I uh, didn't want to go anywhere. I was quite sure that uh, I won't leave Kyiv. But uh, on the second day, there was a moment that changed a lot because we had a quite uh, strong shelling. And actually, the truck with ammunition was um, hit um, right behind my house, my building. And uh, I looked at my son who was shaking of physical fear. He was sitting on the floor in the corridor. And that was the moment when I actually lost all my roles of the filmmaker, of writer, I don't know. And uh, I was just the mother who felt that I can't protect my child and I don't, want, I don't know what to do. And um, we tried to leave Kyiv for months and half, we came to Lviv, that is the western part of Ukraine. But then we actually realized uh, that Russian missiles fly there too. And we decided to come back. Mm. And we are in Kyiv mm. now. Mm. So that's where you stay most of the time? 
Yeah, but I also travel. I'm mm. the lucky one because I have some invitations. I uh, take part in film festivals and literary events. And I have to take my son with me. And he hates me for this traveling because he's almost 13. And he prefers to be at home. And he's not afraid of uh, any missile attacks or other dangerous situation. That is the other side of this coin, you know, because our children, they got used to this abnormal reality so fast and they don't have any fears. Okay, not all of them, some of them. My kid is, I mean, he doesn't pay any attention to those missiles and I don't know. Mm. He feels uh, safe with uh, 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 in in that surrounding, and, and actually this weekend we will take him up to Korketrekken to <laughs> at least have one good memory from from Oslo, you know, the <laughs> Holmenkollen uh, sledge sledge area. We will have a lot of them, I yeah. believe so, because I have time finally to discover what mm. Oslo is. Yeah. And um, so home is something you carry inside of you, um, and uh, but of course you have uh, your your hometown Kiev. But you also in the film that uh, we we going a little, com- we're going to get a little bit back and forth to the film. Uh, we're not going to like discuss it uh, so much before you're going to see it. But but it's it's a film about a film actually. It's a film about a family that are documenting their lives. And, and you, you have been talking about, at the time in, in, when you documented them, their life, it was like uh, living peacefully in Kiev and then going into a war zone. Uh, and suddenly you are now in the middle of the war yourself. Uh, what did you learn from, maybe you can tell us a little bit, bit about this family, it's a single mother, four children, and they decided to stay in Donbass, in the eastern part of Ukraine, where the, when the war started. Uh, what did they? Is there something now that you realize that you, you learned from them, or it was like a preview to your situation today, in some, or you know, it, to Ukrainian situation today? I guess that every film is a journey, especially Mm. documentary film, because it's not only your job, your work, it's something more. You spend a lot of time with these real people and their real fears and dreams and everything, and you become friends and family with them. And, uh, you know, as to me, when the war has started, I mean, in 2014, I was trying to find any reasons to go to frontline zone because I was drawn as a magnet there. I wanted to be somehow useful. I was actually trying to find the answer to the question, what can I do as the artist in these times? And uh, I took part in some literary readings for local people and military, and I was shooting documentary films. And this film was my attempt to um, understand what does it mean to be a civilian who lives in the war zone Mm -hmm. and how all these uh, circumstances change people on different levels, including very subtle ones. And uh, when I met this family, I was deeply impressed because uh, they are 
quite unique. A single mother and four kids who lived in the red zone, and it was quite dangerous there. But despite all the circumstances, they were trying to live normal life. They were playing uh, musical instruments. They were shooting amateur films about themselves. And they were full of life. And that was important for me because I was trying to find something to rely on in these uh, dark times. Mm. And these people, they are really inspiring. But when I was shooting them, I was just the observer. I had a huge empathy to them. But then I've been coming back to my completely peaceful Kiev, and that was really different reality. Mm. So I was trying to balance between that war and peace uh, parallel dimensions um, inside of my country. And I never expected that later I will put on the shoes of my character and I will become the mother who is sitting in the corridor during the shelling and who is waiting and trying to understand what should I do. Uh, and actually, it's quite an interesting thing that we somehow changed uh, our places now. Uh, I don't, I, I won't spoil the film, it's uh, something beyond. Uh, the scenes, but my characters, my friends, uh, they left Kyiv, uh, not Kyiv, Ukraine, one uh, year ago when the full-scale invasion mm. has started mm. because uh, they lived uh, in the Donetsk region and at the moment uh, the town uh, is uh, under constant fire and it's really dangerous to live there now and I'm very glad that we helped them to flee. At the moment they live in uh, Vilnius, in Lithuania and now they worry about me mm. when we have some, some moments. Mm. Uh, I heard an interview with you uh, uh, after you won a prize at Sundance and you were asked by the interviewer, uh, like, what films do you watch now? And you said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm just scrolling on my phone. So uh, this was, you know, uh, some time ago. So uh, losing the war also, you know, makes you lose your concentration. So uh, it's hard to receive art and uh, and make, of course, too. But but you, as Susanna introduced you, you're, you're still writing poems and short stories and essays and, and you have planned for new projects. But, but can you say something about the role of art, <laughs> both at the receiving end? Like, are we able or are we all just scrolling on our phones uh, instead of watching, you know, I'm, I'm glad so many people came to watch a movie instead of just scrolling uh, about what's happening on the front line. Um, but um, I guess that you have thought about this. But you know, this scrolling is uh, quite powerful, especially now. Because uh, when something really important uh, is going on here and now, today, uh, some people, they just grab their cameras or smartphones and they fix this reality. And some of these short uh, amateur videos or some short posts on Facebook are much more powerful mm. than any artistic uh, expressions of real artists. 
And uh, it happened to me too. I mean, one year ago, I felt completely lost and numb, and I felt that I can't uh, write anything, I can't film anything, because I don't know how to speak about everything that happened to us. Uh, because, you know, as the artist, I need to be somehow above the situation. Mm. I need to have a distance between the object and, uh, I mean, any um, artistic reflection needs it. But when you are inside of this, uh, in the epicenter of everything, you can't be objective. And uh, some of arts are really... Um, passive now, as to me, fiction films uh, or some, I don't know, no, big novels are impossible today. Mm. But at the same time, poetry has its magic tools to fix the moments of here and now, and that is extremely important mm. to reflect on all that uh, fast feelings, to stop it, and then we have a chance to look back and to realize uh, what happened to us, because we changed so fast. And uh, uh, yeah, there is a long conversation about all this metamorphosis, but uh, I'm thinking a lot about these changes. I don't remember this uh, before the war times. I think we were really different people back then. So what kind of changes have you observed or what kind of changes do you think about? We got used to live uh, today and we don't make plans anymore because you never know. And maybe it's something not about Ukrainians only because uh, I see uh, that different people from around the world feel that we are not protected anymore. Mm. And uh, we remember these times of uh, COVID pandemic. Mm. We were all so scared. I mean, all of us, not only in Ukraine. I remember European countries because uh, we were expecting for something really horrible. And uh, it helps to understand that we are unprotected and somehow to get used to this thought. But maybe it's not that bad mm. to feel the power of here and now moments because you never know what will happen tomorrow mm. Mm. Uh, one a painful question that uh, it's not really something you deal with in this film but of course it's the it's the back uh, story of the aggressor which is Russia which is your neighbor and I'm just wondering, uh, it's been a lot of debate here also about art, um, whether to, um, you know, listen to the old, uh, or, or listen to the old symphonies of Tchaikovsky, or see the ballets, or reading Pushkin or Dostoevsky. Uh, before I ask about that, like, when, for us to understand, when you grew up in Ukraine, how did you relate to Russian art and to the Russian people? Was, was that brother nations or was the, this the colonizing power? I was born in Soviet Union mm. and I was completely other 
person in that times. Uh, first of all, I grew up in completely Russian-speaking community, and Ukrainian language was quite exotic to me because I didn't have any people around me who spoke Ukrainian in that mm. times. I was a Soviet girl who was actually writing glory to Soviet Union in my uh, exercise book of a first grade uh, pupil. And uh, since then, I had quite an interesting journey. I mean, starting from point A to point B, which is today. And I remember... Because just to tell the audience, you were born in 82? Yeah, I, I, I was born in 82. So yeah. when you're nine years old, the Soviet Union breaks up. Yeah, it collapsed and it didn't matter anything to me personally. I was just really upset that I won't have a chance to become a pioneer mm. because <laughs> I lost my chance. But then it was the important turning point. My grandmother, who uh, was... Um, the teacher in the university and who was actually quite a bright personality, she joined uh, the community of uh, Ukrainian women. It was called so. And uh, she started to um, invite me to this meeting. And then I had a feeling that uh, the door to some parallel world opened to me suddenly because, first of all, I met many people who spoke Ukrainian language and uh, they were completely different, mostly intellectuals. And I was so impressed because uh, I had a feeling that there is some other world and I was not invited before to that mm -hmm. world. And uh, I was a child, uh, but they did many special things to somehow uh, intrigue you. Uh, I've got a present, for example, of the book with Ukrainian poems of one of uh, famous Ukrainian poets, and I didn't have any ideas that it exists. And then that was a long way of uh, becoming some kind of another person, and uh, that was a coming back to my roots, to my Ukrainian identity, because first of all, I started to write in Ukrainian. Then uh, I switched uh, my language into Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. Actually, that was also some kind of a turning point. I found out that I'm pregnant. And I remember that the moment I was going by bus and I saw the poster, Ukraine starts from you. And that was the moment when I decided, okay, I want uh, to have Ukrainian-speaking child. Mm. I want to, um, to come back to myself, to something which was actually stolen from my identity before. Mm. And um, how, um, how... So your... Your... Uh, language at home is Ukrainian now, but you grew yeah. up in a in a and that is also in an interesting speaking thing family. about uh, the choice of a language because mm. as to Ukraine, it's uh, quite a hot uh, term today, and uh, I know so many people who decided to change uh, the language from Russian to Ukrainian, mm. and uh, uh, especially last year, mm. so. I don't know, many, many, many people around me mm. decided uh, to 
speak Ukrainian now. Mm. Mm. And by the way, even the characters of the film that you will see soon, mm. because uh, uh, when I was shooting them in 2017, they were completely Russian-speaking uh, mm. people, and Ukrainian language was really exotic to them because mm. uh, they lived uh, in the east of Ukraine, and this region is mostly Russian-speaking. And uh, I remember that times I was speaking in Ukrainian to them, they were speaking in Russian, and that was okay. Mm. We actually, I mean, that is something really normal for Ukraine, when people speak different languages and understand each other perfectly. But last year, I was really surprised that they also uh, started to speak Ukrainian. So mm. that is... Mm. Um, the decision, the tool, I don't know, the mm. act of uh, searching for identity, probably. Mm. Yes, and as a protest, maybe And a protest, too. And that now uh, Putin is actually losing all the battles that he uh, started a war for, including, including um, the Russification of Ukraine. I'm just wondering... Um, one more thing about uh, the role of art and Russia. Um, do you ever, do your work ever go and speak to the Russians? Like, do you know, do you have any uh, people writing to you from Russia, having read your poems, seen your films? Is there a role for the art uh, in, and I know it's far too early to talk about reconciliation, uh, but uh, is there a way that your art, that your work can also uh, mm, like target, maybe the wrong word, but uh, target the feelings or the minds or the intellects of, of the people uh, that uh, I had live in some, Russia. I had some connections with Russian intellectuals, writers, filmmakers before the war has started. I mean, before 2014. And then that was also some kind of a protest. I actually, um, uh, I mean, I cut all the connections with them, but still, maybe not all the connections. I had some Russian fellow film directors, for example, who were opposing the regime all these years. So I had some people uh, to talk, to watch their films, uh, but, you know, Last winter changed a lot, because when we felt all this tension above us and we were waiting for the beginning of this full-scale invasion, I was also waiting for some kind of um, protest. And I was even uh, checking all the time Facebook pages of uh, Russian film directors and you, and they were silent, mm. and they remained silent. And... You know, I can't forgive them that silence because if you are the artist, you should actually use those tools that you have. And if we uh, can look back also for this last nine years of Russia's war against Ukraine, I ask myself, where can we find, for example, films that uh, talk about Russia's aggression in Ukraine. Mm. Believe me, mm. you won't find a lot. You can, I don't know, remember just maybe five or ten. And at the same time, we have 
so many other works, I mean, artistic works that uh, actually created this warm, wet soil where Putin's ambitions were sprouted. So as to me, Russian artists, most of them, many of them, I don't know. I know that it sounds quite radical, but uh, they are also guilty mm. because they shouldn't be so silent, especially today. Many of them fled to other countries, mm. and they also fled to, uh, to Europe, I don't know, to this Western safe world. And I don't see some really bright protests against uh, the uh, government. Mm. Have you seen them? No, I've seen uh, some of the writers like Shishkin. Uh, some some of them are really like he hasn't been to Russia since 2014. But he is, I agree with you, he's totally the exception uh, that Russian artists have failed you, have failed Ukraine. That's how it looks like. I, I, I also haven't seen any very outspoken um, uh, Russian artists, unfortunately. But that is a painful conversation. It's very painful. And, anyway, and, and one more question. <laughs> it's going to be very cheerful a bit later. No, but you mentioned guilt. Uh, no, the, I mean... The Russian... About being guilty, but it's also a feeling of guilt without being guilty. Yes, the Russian artists, you can say they're guilty of, of not speaking out. But, but you also write about guilt um, in some of your texts. Like, some people feel guilty because they leave Ukraine... Uh, if they stay in Ukraine, they feel guilty because they don't fight. It's uh, how is that uh, for you? I know, uh, I know your husband signed up from you know the first day uh, to the army. First he was declined because they had so many people uh, joining, but now he is in the worst place on earth right now, uh, as far as it seems that you know, like uh, around Bakhmut, which we read about in the papers. Every day. Now, uh, that battle that's gone on for months and months, and, and there's a stalemate in, in the fighting. Your husband is there. Uh, he's a writer, he's an artist. Uh, it's, um, I don't even know uh, how to ask you, but, but I have to ask you, like, how, how, how is he? How, how are you? How, how is it to suddenly become a soldier and, and being a wife of a soldier in your own country? You know, the worst thing is uh, that we have a feeling that this uh, circle is narrowing so fast. Because I remember the beginning of this uh, Russia's war against Ukraine, and I knew many people who were fighting or who became paramedics or volunteers. But most uh, of Ukraine uh, lived uh, its normal life. And we felt quite lonely. I remember myself when I became the wife of a soldier suddenly in 2015, and that was so surreal feeling because, come on, I'm the modern woman of 21st century, and I'm waiting for my husband who is uh, in the trenches uh, somewhere in the east, and he's famous Ukrainian writer, the author of more than 10 novels, but he had to take weapons in his arms and uh, actually this uh, the beginning of the war seemed so much uh, first world war because uh, these people they were wait, uh, fighting from trenches 
And uh, we felt also so lonely because we didn't feel enough support of the rest of the world because uh, most of the countries uh, used to think that that is some local conflict, some civil war, and we are not really interested in what is really happening there. And of we course, we were building uh, Nord Stream one and two and. Yeah. Uh, pretending to to criticize a little bit on the road. Yeah, but Sorry, I have yeah. the other optics, yes. you know, because mm. I was so close mm. to that situation. And But the last year changed a lot. At the moment, most of people I know, actually, almost everyone is somehow affected by this war. My husband is in the army again. Most uh, uh, of my friends are fighting themselves or they have waiting for their spouses who are fighting. And two of my female friends became young widows because we lo I lost a friend two months ago. He was killed near Bakhmut. Mm -hmm. And he used to be quite a brilliant film editor, one mm -hmm. of uh, the most famous. And he was just normal hipster from Kiev raver, I don't know, the father of a nice girl, the husband of a beautiful, smart woman. Mm -hmm. And then he became a commander of the unit, and then he was killed. Mm -hmm. And I have so many stories like this around me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, mm -hmm. this conversation also mm -hmm. is quite long. Yes. And... Um, it's a life you didn't ask for, and uh, you, uh, uh, when you don't look at the news or, or speak to your husband on the phone or scroll on the f or, uh, scroll on your or screen, um, you have been able to restart working as an artist, uh, and you have a new project going. Uh, do you want to tell us a little about about what is it possible to how do you try to to relate to what's happening right now like what is your new project yeah i decided that i'll try again to do something and at the moment i'm developing the new film project and i want to try the genre of animated documentary this is one of the most interesting genres for me because when you are talking about something that already happened or about some really intimate things, the tool of animation helps a lot. And this time I want to talk about myself, my personal experience as a woman who are facing these war times, about my friends, my family, and about those invisible changes in us uh, that we don't even feel sometimes. But when you try to look uh, at this abnormal reality with some kind of a fresh eyes, you realize that we changed a lot. And uh, I want to talk about those very intimate things, about our fears, about... Uh, 
our dreams and plans for the future. Because, you know, most of us, for example, talking about my female friends, we were waiting for some better times, for after the war times, to do some important things. For example, like giving birth uh, to a next child or to a first child. And then that was a moment when we realized that maybe this after the war times uh, won't happen to us for many years. We actually don't know. And uh, it changes a lot. It gives you some important lessons. And I want to talk about these lessons. But this script also has a lot of humor. Mm. because we protect ourselves with humor all the time and it helps and you will watch the film The Earth is Blue is an Orange mm. it also mm. has a lot of humor mm. because I remember when I met my characters for the first time and when I spent some time together with them I was impressed that they were laughing all the time they were trying to explain me what they uh, actually went through in 2014, 15, and they just made jokes, they laughed. But you will see in the film that they were not laughing all the time. Sometimes we have a moments when we should be sincere to each other mm. and to take our masks off. Mm. And you chose a very surrealistic title for your film. Uh, can you say something about that? Is that because it felt surreal to suddenly have a war at your doorstep, uh, so close but yet so far, because you could escape to to the busy life of Kiev? Yeah, I chose quite a strange title. This is a quote from uh, the poetry of Paul Eluar and quite a famous example of surrealism in art. And I was trying to find some special poetic formula that could convey that sense of surreality that I felt before in the war zone. Because I remember myself when I just started to visit this frontline zone, I was really impressed by different um, crossroads of parallel dimensions uh, that you see there all the time. For example, just a simple example, I remember um, I came to Avdiivka, I was one of the tutors in a cinema camp for children, and we had a master class for them, and we had a moment when these children were watching some pieces of Bertolucci's movie, and at the same time, we heard the sounds of uh, shellings from outside. And all these teenagers, they didn't pay any attention to this sound, because that is routine for them, and cinema is a magic. And you know, I was looking at them, and that was such a strong moment of crossing of different realities. And then um, I saw many moments like this, because um, people who got used to this reality, uh, yeah, I already told, they change. Mm. They don't feel that there is something not really normal. And uh, But at the same time, it sounds weird, but uh, this combat zone is full of poetry. Mm. This poetry is gloomy, is strange. 
but still there is a poetry mm. to me. Mm. And thank you for bringing this poetry to Oslo. But I want to just ask you about, um, of course, the Ukrainians have shown us uh, in Europe and in the rest of the world um, the ability to unite and and to fight. Uh, and it's been, uh, I don't know if anyone can be untouched by what we've seen uh, of of your country, your countrymen, your countrywomen. Uh, and I know that... Um, the West are, you know, we, we, you know, we're trying to help, but then we're not helping enough. Uh, but still, can you say something about um, how, of course, you say the Ukrainians, we've all changed. Uh, we probably changed here too, but, but do you feel... Um, more united? Do you feel uh, more united to Europe? Do you feel like we've talked a lot about the inner changes, but uh, more on a on a identity, a national identity plan? Uh, you came here to us, um, uh, and and you're going to Copenhagen after this. Um, where is your place in the world? Where is Ukraine's? place in the world um just end on <laughs> just like yeah i'm no. babbling along but <laughs> I, it's, I, it's a little bit about um we've learned so much from the ukrainians because uh before the war i'm sure most norwegians didn't really have a very strong concept of what ukraine was what the ukrainians were and and we've really learned a lot this this year mm-hmm First of all, I should say that we surprised ourselves too. We didn't know who we are. And I remember these first days of Russia's full-scale invasion. These days were so long. They were, th- that was eternity. And at the same time, these days were full of everything. And we were checking the news. We actually saw so many things with our own eyes. And at the same time, I remember that was a moment when we felt that uh, we don't have the other choice. We have only this struggle, this fight, and we need to do that all together. But uh, at that moment, we still didn't know that we will have such a huge support of the world because at the beginning of this war in 2014, 15, and then we felt so lonely, to be honest. And then we've got this huge wave of support from different countries, from our allies, and it really matters, especially when we get, when we get this help on uh, the level of, I don't know, this is one thing when this big guys help us with weapons, etc. And that is completely other story when ordinary people are really involved in this uh, process altogether. And so many Ukrainians had to flee Ukraine. And it's not that easy to adapt to completely other worlds, to this, uh, I don't know, to these different worlds, because people are different. They have the other mentality. And I believe that is one of the biggest trials to 
to leave home and uh, try to build your nest on some other place. And that is extremely important that people help these other people. And I believe in these connections on these uh, uh, simplest levels. And as to Ukraine, what I also feel, this is something new, that now other people are much more interested in knowing us. Mm. And I really feel that these people in different countries of Central and Western Europe, they want to listen to us, they want to know more. And if they want to know more, we can propose more. Because I also think that uh, we kind of guilty that we didn't spend that 30 years of independence to talk more about ourselves. Mm -hmm. But of course, we were trying to get rid of our post-colonial trauma. That is not so fast. That is also a process. Mm -hmm. And when we came to that line, red line, Uh, that helped us to understand that we don't have any common future with our neighbors, uh, I mean, with Russia and Belarus and all that post-Soviet world, that we are going the other direction. That was the important point for us, for you probably too, because, uh, yeah, I believe uh, we live in the times of changes. And I really want to believe that we will change the world together. Well, uh, thank you so much for um, showing us your art and telling us about your life. And we will have a little break and then you will come back and tell about the film. Thank you. Thank you, You've been listening to a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers. You can find more episodes and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud and our website. The music is by Apotheque.